shared it. And, and uh, this is our last, <clears throat> our last focus on prayer as a gift. Uh, and, and why did I pick these last three weeks, last two and this one on prayer? Well, I, I personally think that we have uh, many people struggle Struggle to come into God's presence with prayer. We struggle with time. We struggle with perspective. We we struggle with uh, our our weaknesses, and we often uh, are afraid to come to the Lord because we're just we just don't feel like we've lived our life in the way we should have, and and we feel like God may not accept us into His presence. I'm trying to push against that mentality. Uh, obviously, there are those within this room that have already discovered the joy of prayer and discovered that it is a, a gift that you can unwrap every morning. You can ra- unwrap it throughout the day, and it is something to be looked forward to. It's something to be, it's precious. Uh, but it, it is something that, that we often don't take advantage of, uh, of as much as we ought to do. So, I, I, we, we've covered a, a, a couple different sermons on it, and I'll kind of reference them here in a minute. But as we go to today, I, I want to just kind of continue with this idea of the gift of prayer. And, and the overriding thought on my heart today is that the gift of prayer is intended to be shared. Yes, we are commanded in Scripture and told in Scripture, listen, go to your closet, I think is the word in the New King James. But, you know, uh, go, go to your closet. Go alone. And your Father who sees what you do in secret will bless you openly. And so there is that time for that individual prayer where we can come into God's presence and, and uh, just enjoy knowing that He is listening to us and He is there with us. But I think prayer is also a gift that's intended to be shared corporately. And we, we certainly do that. Uh, but not as well as I think we will as we continue to be stretched in our understanding of what um, corporate worship is about. And I just want to encourage you that uh, if you're not in regular prayer with another person, that's part of the gift. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that a little bit more today. So as, as we consider this, I'm going to ask you, I'm pausing for effect. I'm going to ask you to ask someone else that question. I routinely put a question up here, and I ask you the question. And I say, hey, what do you think of this, and how do you think of that? No, I'm asking you, through this whole sermon time that we have together, will you consider saying those words to someone else? Will you pray with me? I don't know. I, I'm kind of curious. I'm not going to ask for a response, but I am kind of curious what's going on in your hearts and minds as you think, could I actually say that to another person? What if they reject me? What if they say no? What if they say yes? Will you pray with me? It, it, when we ask this question, building upon what we've studied thus far, We're saying we understand the privilege to pray is a result of the work of Jesus. When we're going to invite someone into prayer, let's not take it loosely. Let's not take it lightly. 
We've spent two weeks talking about prayer and, and just approaching it from a different perspective. So some of us treat it as if it's, it's so daunting, I, I, I'm not holy enough to enter into God's presence. Well, you're not in your own strength, but you are in Christ. You are righteous. You're declared righteous. We're told in Scripture that, that Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. It says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. We reference this text and the idea of when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that, tore, that, that veil being torn from top to bottom was a supernatural event and it signified our ability to step into the presence of God, the very presence of God. And we ought not to treat that lightly, but we also ought to not treat it to the, to the standpoint of, well, if we never go to his presence, in, into his presence, what does this mean for us? It means that, was that veil torn for a purpose? Yes, it was to invite us into the presence of God. So, so this idea that we understand the privilege to pray as a result of the work of Jesus Christ, this is going right to the gospel. We did not have this ability prior to Jesus Christ dying on that cross for our sins. And when he did that, oh my word, everything changed. And the gospel has been going forth. Obviously, the, the, you know, he, he died at that moment on the cross. But he rose again three days later in fulfillment of the Scriptures. And we are called to live our life every day in light of what took place during those few days. So we, we know this to be true. This is a significant event. But when we ask this question, we also proclaim our confidence to step into the presence of God. When you say, will you pray with me? It's based on your knowledge of the gospel and your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're going to invite somebody to participate in something, you ought to know what you're doing, but you also have an opportunity to express to them what you're doing. Listen, will you pray with me? We're going to step into God's presence because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And, and I want you to understand, when we come to pray, if you will pray with me, we proclaim our confidence to step into this pre presence of, the presence of God. This is going into the idea of confidence that we saw in Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly. It is the idea of with assurance, with confidence, come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Why do we need to go to the throne of grace? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I know that we are in regular need of grace and mercy. And when we say those, those words to someone, will you pray with me? It might be because you are entering into God's presence for you to obtain grace and mercy. But maybe you're trying to lead someone to understand that very same grace and mercy is available to them. He said earlier, uh, the, the, the two verses prior to this, uh, that last one, he says, seeing that we, why can we walk into his presence? He says, well, seeing that we have a, high, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Here's that word, hold fast our confession. This is also an aspect of this confidence that we have of stepping into God's presence. It's, it's not something that is unsure. 
it, it is a, it's a foundational thing that we can all participate and believe in and hold on to this, this, uh, this truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession of Him. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Also the gospel. We have the ability to walk into God's presence. We're told to come boldly. Why? Because Jesus Christ, our high priest, he is the one who has experienced human weakness, yet without sin. And so when we go into God's presence, we have a Savior who is who is uh, been there. There's commercials out there right now talking about the humanity of Jesus, uh, and certainly they can uh, uh, be an encouragement to us to understand the frailty that he experienced when he was a human being. But it says without sin, and so we have to emphasize that Jesus Christ died on that cross, sinless, perfect. The one who was the only one who was capable to die in our place. He was without sin so that he could take our sin upon him. And that's what happened at that cross when he died and the veil was torn. In, in Hebrews chapter 10, we looked at this verse again. Let us hold fast this confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. We worship a God who is faithful. If he was not faithful, he would go back on his word, and therefore he would be a liar, and he would not be God. So we as Christians can have confidence. And when we go to prayer, we, we proclaim that confidence. And when we invite someone into prayer with us, we are, we are communicating to them, please, it's based on the work of Christ that we can even come into his presence. But not only can we come into his presence, he invites us to come boldly with confidence into his presence. So will you pray with me? And when we ask this question, we are inviting others to join their hearts with ours. This is kind of focusing on last week. When we come into, Jesus invited his disciples to come out after the Last Supper and they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane and, and Jesus went and he, and he had the, the 12 and, well, maybe at that point the 11 and then, then he had the 3 and then he went off a little further and he prayed and he poured out his heart as he was overwhelmed with what was transpiring in his life. And, and he said, God, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, your will be done. But he experienced incredible, overwhelming struggle. And, and, and that's part of that weakness that we can take a confidence in, that Jesus understands when we are overwhelmed, we can come into his presence. So we, we focused on the, on the fact that we can come to God with confidence when we're overwhelmed and when we're overjoyed. And so when we invite others to join our heart, to join their hearts with ours, we may be joining in that overwhelming aspect of our life. It's, it's kind of a scary thing, don't you think? Inviting someone in to the struggles that you might be going through. You're worried about what will they think of you. I had a very good friend of mine who, who had that thought one day. I won't go into all the details, but he, he thought to himself, I need to unburden my soul. Who can I unburden my soul to? And, and I would like to say, well, he thought of me immediately because I'm so spiritual and I'm so wise. 
No, he came to me because he realized our friendship was expendable. He said, Greg, I honestly, I'm telling you this because if you walk away, I'll be okay. All right? Of course, I didn't walk away, and and that's what united us as friends forever. Because he shared, he joined, we, we joined together in that moment with it, the, the, the deepest, darkest aspect of his life. And we met Christ there. And we prayed together. And, and it's a beautiful thing, but it's a scary thing. And so if you're going to invite someone to join uh, with what's going on inside of you, it, it might be risky but it glorifies God. Take the risk. And if you're the one being asked, would you pray with me? Be careful with what they share. If they share something that honestly is beyond your ability to either comprehend or to, or to deal with, you know, all you have to do is be with them in that moment and pray for them and with them silently. Lord, help them as they are overwhelmed in whatever is going on. Of course, we're also inviting others to join our hearts with the over, being overjoyed. And that's a beautiful thing. Whether new life is, is the celebration, whether it's physical or spiritual, we, we, can, we can take joy when it be overwhelmed. Uh, it might be an overwhelming thing that you, that you passed a, a particular final exam, whatever it might be, and you say, will you pray with me? I want to praise God for what what has just transpired in my life. So the way we ask this question, there's all kinds of dynamics. And and every every event where you might ask this prayer is unique. Will you pray with me is an invitation to allow others into your life. And they might say no. I know I've done this many times. I said uh, in, in ministry, you make this mistake. You say, oh, brother, sister, would you pray for us? No. Who's looking awkward? Well, we all are at that point. I, I just asked someone to, to pray who is either not spiritually fit at that moment because of something that transpired last week. He's like, I can't go to God in prayer. I know what's going on in my life. Or they're just embarrassed or, or you know, they, don't, they don't do the public speaking thing well. But maybe if you asked them in private, they would be like, well, sure. So be careful with that. But we invite others. It's a beautiful thing. So when we ask this question, will you pray with me, we may not know how the other person or persons feel about prayer. Uh, we may not know that, uh, they're, they're, whether they share the same confidence that we share in our coming to prayer. So there's a possibility of, of, of them struggling with how to respond. So I wanted to ask ourselves this question as we go forward. How can we help people overcome their obstacles to coming to God in prayer? Because I'm telling you, this is something we ought to be doing together. And, and, and so I, I will say this. Don't weird people out, right? Don't, don't get in there. And, you know, I actually watched a, a video. I, I, it was the skit guys. How many of you have ever heard of the skit guys, right? There's some funny videos out there, right? I could not show that one here, but it was, it was like, it, it would have been too much, right? But, um, but he broke into his prayer voice. Oh, God, thou that art mightiest among all the, you know, and, and I'm like, that's not letting someone in, right? That, that's, uh, we have to be careful. So don't wig people out. Don't freak people out when you pray. Just pray. 
unwrap the gift together and come in confidence. And, and so let's help people overcome their obstacles to coming to, uh, to God in prayer. We're going to look at Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 8. So turn in your Bibles, 55, 1 through 13, which is the whole chapter of, of Isaiah 55, is what precedes this particular text we're going to look at now. It's the context, uh, the preceding context of what's about to happen. So if you look with me in your Bibles, uh, I don't have the scripture of Isaiah 55 on the screen, but I, I want us to, were you encouraged when you read those, when those words were read to you? Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. He's saying, it's my grace that you can come participate in the grace. God is overwhelmingly gracious. And so when, when we think about this fear of un unwrapping this gift of prayer, we often think of God as this judgmental God. And yet, he is, uh, please, when you come to, to prayer and you unwrap that gift, picture God as this gracious God that says, come if you thirst I will give you drink. If you have no money, I will give you to eat. You do not have to, verse 2, you do not have to spend money for what is not bread. Don't settle for those things that are, that are fake. Don't, don't settle for those things that promise you something but never deliver. He says, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? He's like, listen, I'm a gracious, loving, heavenly Father who seeks to, to satisfy you and to, and to bless you. He goes on in, in verse 6 and it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. What gracious words from God. And, and as, as Isaiah, listen, let's talk about Isaiah for a moment before we get into the text, right? We're only going to look at eight verses, and we're going to kind of cover them pretty quickly. But I'll say this. Do you know the context of Isaiah? As, we be, as the transition from chapter uh, 55 to 56 is, is, is you're transitioning from the second major portion to the third major portion of his writing. But the first portion of his writing Chapter 1 through chapter, uh, well, it's at least through 39, but probably, yeah, I think it's through 39. That whole section is dealing with God calling him to be a prophet to a nation that has rejected him. Oh, they're going through the motions, but there's no faith. There's no genuine love. There's no, there's no sincere uh, worship going on. So in chapter 6, God appears and, and, and Isaiah writes, writes he says, in, in the year King Uzziah died, he had this vision of, of God in his temple, and, 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 and he describes just the amazing nature of being in the presence of God. And then he's commissioned as a, as a prophet. He's already a prophet probably at this point, but his, his commission becomes very focused, and it becomes this prophet of judgment. He becomes this prophet saying, Jerusalem, you're going, you, you are going to experience the wrath of God, the, the chastisement of God, and a nation that is, is going to come through and they are going to take you away. 
And, and we see that through the, through the process of Isaiah and through the process, process of understanding all that period of time, that what the, the, the temple that was standing by the end of Isaiah is not standing anymore. It's been destroyed. That's the first temple. The one that Solomon built is gone. These people that thought that they were God's people in God's city with God's temple. Isaiah comes on the scene and he says, you're sinning. And God's going to chastise you for that, and the temple is going to be destroyed. And it was. The Assyrians came through. The Babylonians came through. Temples destroyed. So we, we see that, and we see all, all that's going on. As, I, as Isaiah gets into chapter 56, all this glorious stuff I failed to mention. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. In the other words, take advantage, redeem the time. God is available now. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. This is 55 verses 6 and 7. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. What awesome news that the prophet Isaiah is able to communicate. He says, listen, I provide you rain. And just like that rain, my word shall go forth from my mouth and it shall not return to me void. God has given us his word. And he's saying, you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and hills shall break forth into singing before you and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. What is he saying? There is, a, there is forgiveness of God. There's, there is life after all the chastisement that's going to take place. And God is going to meet their needs. So when we get to, to uh, chapter 56, verses 1 through 8, we're going to see four encouragements from God, which will help us to come to him in prayer and to help others overcome their obstacles. Maybe you're experiencing the obstacle to prayer. Maybe it's a struggle for you to step into God's presence. And so maybe, maybe this, these truths, these encouragements will help you as well. First of all, we see encouragement number one. God's expectations for us are attainable. Isn't it? It's nice to know that when someone has an expectation of you, that it's actually attainable. Uh, we, in my marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling, I'm always talking about uh, the, 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 uh, the expectations uh, within, that exist within a relationship. Expectations are supposed to be realistic. They're supposed to be attainable. And they're supposed to be godly. That's the other thing. All right? So as we talk about God's expectations, well, certainly if he has expectations of us, they ought to be attainable. But remember, God's expectations never rely upon our strengths or our abilities. It's all based in trust in him. So they're attainable through him, through his power. Isaiah 56 verse 1 says, uh, thus says the Lord God, keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Uh, there's there's a, a, a segue between 56, 55 and 56, but he's saying, now listen, these are the expect, expectations I have of you, people of God. This is, this is back in Isaiah's day. This would have been not the church. This would have been the, uh, the Jewish nation. All right, But he says, keep justice and do righteousness. There's a lot of similarities between those words. But he's basically saying is, this is the expectation I have for you. Practice justice 
because of my righteousness, be righteous in, in conformity with my justice. It's all intermixed there together. And he says, these are the things that you're supposed to do. And because he says, for my salvation is about to come. This is a wonderful text. If we'll just pause on this one, this slide for just a moment. He's saying, do these things. For my salvation is about to come. They're supposed to do these things recognizing that God's plan is unfolding. In this particular context, they were not doing these things. He's saying, listen, my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. You need to live in light of what I'm about to reveal. We are much like that, are we not? We know that Jesus could return at any moment. We know that he's promised, right? Jesus is with us till the end of the age, but there's coming a time. We believe in a, a Christ, a, a Messiah, who, who died in our place on the cross, was buried, rose again, ascended into heaven, and is coming again. And we are called to live our lives in light of that coming. And, and so this is what's going on in Isaiah's day, but it's very real for us. We are supposed to continue to do those things that represent the nature of God, the person of God. Keep justice, do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come. Now, we are a recipient. If you're a Christian today, you've already received the salvation, but you have not experienced in its fullness all right, you have, not, you have not been in God's presence directly. That day will come. But he's saying, for my salvation is about to come. And my righteousness is to be revealed. It's about to be revealed. And it was going to be revealed through the chastisement, through what was going to take place. And he's saying, in light of what's coming next, you really ought to get your act together. But don't do it in your own strength. Do it in mind. He says, blessed is the man who does this. There's blessings that come with this. We'll look at that a little bit more in a minute. He says, and the son of man who lays hold of it. This is, this is the, uh, the, the things that we're called to do. Blessed is the man, woman, or child who does the practicing of righteousness, right? And the son of man who lays hold of it. It's the same idea that we, we saw with the confidence. Grab hold of this. Hold on who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. We're called to live in covenant relationship with God. We are called to live in new covenant relationship with God. This is old covenant terminology. This is Isaiah saying, uh, and, and the idea of defiling the Sabbath is certainly an old covenant practice. But, it, but the, by mentioning this defiling of the Sabbath, he's bringing the whole Old Covenant into focus. He's saying, listen, live in covenant relationship with me. If, peep, if my people uh, will live in co a covenant relationship with me, I will bless them. He says, blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold of it. It's not something that we just do by accident. It's with intentionality who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. 
And so as we bring this to a new covenant relationship with God, there's not much difference between old covenant and new covenant here. Uh, we're not observing uh, the, the Sabbath. And the, first of all, it's Saturday. That was yesterday. We celebrate uh, the, the Lord's Day, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that takes place on Sunday. Uh, and, and so what we're saying is we, we would say that this new covenant relationship that we experience, we are blessed when we live our life in light of this new covenant relationship, the one established for us in Christ. And certainly we're supposed to keep our hand from doing any evil, which the New Testament teaches over and over again. So when we ask, will you pray with me? The second encouragement that helps us understand is God welcomes all who come to him. I, this, I, I, I do recognize that some people feel awkward about praying in public. Some people uh, uh, struggle with uh, many aspects of prayer. But one of the things that is pretty common for new believers is, is the idea that uh, they don't know God as well as they will know God. When I first got saved, I prayed the, 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 the sinner's prayer. We'll just use that terminology for right now. I, I prayed a, a prayer of, of repentance and, and, and forgiveness like every day, all the time, all the time. I didn't have any understanding of assurance of my salvation. And, and so I came to God, but I often came fearful to God, even in my young Christian life. And, and that's one of the things God's used in my life to help me look at prayer as a gift. It's not something to be feared. It's something to be cherished. But God welcomes all who come to him. You might be here this morning and think, I mean, I've heard it so many times from military personnel. Oh, pastor, oh, chaplain, you don't know what I'm guilty of. And it's like, I, I, I don't, and that's okay. God does, and he's willing to meet you there, and, and he's willing to forgive, just confess, come to faith in Christ, or, or remember what Christ has done on your behalf already. You're already a believer. God welcomes all who come to him. He uses two illustrations. He says, do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying the Lord has utterly separated me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, here, am, here I am, a dry tree. These are statements that we see, first of all, uh, that we see the foreigner and the eunuch. These were societal outcasts. These were people who were, who were not able to approach uh, God the way uh, the, the, the Jews were able to approach. And again, old covenant relationships, talking about new covenant, we'll, we'll make that distinction here. But he's saying, do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. The foreigner is talking about someone who desires to be in relationship with God. In the Jewish faith, in the way it's expressed in the Old Testament, God was always willing to receive proselytes, receive people who were God-fearers, people who would say that I, I recognize the God of Israel is the God of the universe, and I have come to faith in Him, and I want my life to honor Him. They, they were not Jews heredit, uh, by heredity, right? But they would become Jews as proselytes. And he says, do not let the son of the foreigner who, notice, who has joined himself to the Lord. Do not let this person who has come to a, a genuine faith in me say, the Lord has utterly separated, separated me from his people. It will never happen. God does not kick his children out of the house. I think the illustration was kicking uh, his children out of the boat. 
that I used before, but it's don't let the foreigner say this. This is talking about a, a faithful person that's come to faith. It's not true that God is going to uh, utterly separate me from his people. They are his people. He says, don't let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. What is a eunuch? Well, there's many ways of explaining it. There's different aspects of it, depending on what context you're in. But it's in one sense, in, according to this, it's someone that cannot have a child. It's, it's a, a, it, specifically the male who is not able to have a child because of a, a damage done to, uh, to his body or because he is a slave. Slaves were often made eunuchs so that they could be trusted, trusted with the king's harem, trusted to not betray the king or or whatever leader was there because if you if a romance were to exist between a a male uh, uh, someone uh, a male person who wasn't a eunuch and a, they could those relationships could would be deemed as dangerous and so they took matters into their own hands and they said okay slave you have no control over your life I'm going to make you a eunuch so that I can trust you. And there's all kinds of discussions we can have here, but uh, as, as we look at it, eunuchs were not allowed to come into, into the temple, right? They weren't allowed to do those things that, that others were allowed to do. And so these, these people are the outcasts, the foreigner. From the Jews' perspectives, they're outcasts. They're, they're fringe people. They're not, they're not the, the, the people that are characterized as being God's people, right? But as we look at Isaiah 56, as we talked about the first portion of the book is really dealing with the judgment, uh, this last portion that starts at 56 and runs to the end of the book is looking towards the future. It's looking towards the future of this, of this coming relationship with God in its fullness. Part of the coming that we see here is the gospel, something that we're aware of something that we know about. But it's even talking future for us. It's, it's talking about the, the eschatological kingdom of God, the future kingdom of God that we are waiting for. We are waiting. And so there are people in our world that they may not be known as foreigners or eunuchs, but they, they believe that for some reason that they, they, they are, God is going to cast them off. That's what you do with uh, with people that are castaways, right? You just get rid of them. God is not that. God is a God who keeps his promise. And he says, listen, don't let the foreigner say this. Don't let the eunuchs say this. They are secure in me. Encouragement three. Let me go back to encourage the actual wording of that because I realize I'm going fast. God welcomes all who come to him. And I want you to understand, God will hear your prayer. He will care for you and and meet you where you are, and he will welcome you. And then thirdly, we see this third encouragement. God blesses all who come to him. This is also tremendous text, tremendous text. When you think about God's blessings for the foreigner and the eunuch, he starts with the eunuch. Notice it says, for thus says the Lord to the eunuch's Uh, who keep my Sabbath. These are the faithful eunuchs, the ones who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and holds fast my covenant. There's that word again, all right? Even to them I will give my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. These eunuchs were slaves. 
These eunuchs had no uh, ability to control their own life. We know of the Ethiopian eunuch in the New Testament. He was one that is on his way doing business. Philip comes across him. God leads him into his presence, and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And Philip climbs up on, the, in, on his uh, vehicle and they travel and he explains to him. And the Ethiopian eunuch comes to faith in Christ. And he says, what hinders me from being baptized as I come across a body of water? So listen, when we see this text of Isaiah 56, 4 and 5, think about that Ethiopian eunuch. Because it says, to the eunuchs, I will give my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. You can't have children, eunuch. But I'm telling you, I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you a new covenant relationship with me. And it's something that would have blown a eunuch's mind and probably did blow that eunuch's mind the Ethiopian eunuch. And I'm so thankful for that little story in the book of Acts that gives us some insight into this because this is what it's referring to. It's, it's, it's so important for us to understand. It's fulfillment of Scripture. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, in this new covenant relationship that I will have in Isaiah's day, it would have been future, very future. He says, I, these, these people that come to me, I'm going to give them something. I'm going to give them a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And I will say that that everlasting name is, is anchored to a relationship with Jesus Christ, the everlasting one, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He goes on to say, also the sons of the foreigner. What are the foreigners going to get? He says, all these foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, they are faithful to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. These foreigners, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath, everyone, and holds fast my covenant, what are the foreigners going to get? The foreigners are going to get, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Think about this for just a minute. Go back to your old covenant relationship. Go back to the, the time of Christ and just prior until he re redefined everything. The faithful Jewish person would bring sacrifices. But when you approach the temple, there was the court of the Gentiles. That's as far as they could go. Then there was the court of the women. And that was as far as they could go. Jewish women. And there was the court of the priest or the area where the priest could function and, and they would do the sacrifices and other males would be able to come into this court and they would be able to participate in the slaying of animals and the blood would represent the blood of Christ. But then there would be that place in the holy place and then there was the center place, the holy of holies, and we've talked about this. That's the one where the veil ripped. A foreigner was getting nowhere near that. The old covenant established the barrier between God and man, and it was so clear. God gave them visual realities and physical realities. Don't go any further or you will be killed. 
But in a new covenant relationship, what we see here is looking forward in the day of Isaiah, looking even forward to our day, he says, even them I will bring to my holy mountain. And as soon as I hear mountain, I think of John chapter 4. John 4, where Jesus appears to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, the outcast of their society. She was, a, she was a Samaritan and she was a woman. It doesn't get much lower than that. And she had had five husbands. He says, I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Jesus informed her that very day that there is a day coming where neither on this mountain or that mountain, but everywhere, those who are going to worship God are going to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And, and we see here all the way back in Isaiah, this being told that God is going to bring the foreigner to His holy mountain. He's going to make them joyful in His house of prayer. That's the temple. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. God is going to receive their sacrifices. They are being welcomed into the presence of God. And then we have this fabulous statement at the end here. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Doesn't that sound familiar? Well, it probably does. It's out of Mark eleven seventeen. Jesus walks in with the, and he flips over the table of the money changers and he says, then he taught saying to them, is it not written my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. We love that portion, right? We love that portion that Jesus comes in and Jesus was never more of a man than when he flipped over those, those tables. Now, that's sarcasm. But I, I do think there are people that enjoy that aspect of, of who Jesus is than other aspects of who Jesus is, right? But what is he saying? He was passionate about God's house being a house of prayer for all nations, all people. We are able to invite other people into prayer because God has invited all nations to come to him in prayer. Our last encouragement that we can help uh, uh, people overcome their obstacles is that God continues to gather people to himself. This is just the last verse. It's kind of confusing uh, when you read about it, but I think it's fairly straightforward as we consider. It says, The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel, talking about the foreigners and the, and the eunuchs, the, the, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel, at whatever level you might be an outcast, right? Uh, again, Israel being those who have come to faith in God at that point, says, yet I will gather to him others. Remember Jesus said there were a sheep of another fold and he was going to call them to himself as well? That's us. You certainly have the nation of Israel. You certainly have God working in an old covenant relationship with the, with the nation of Israel. Uh, and, and, but you have this new covenant reality. And in the new covenant reality, it says, yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him already. God is, he continues to gather people to himself. Listen, folks, we have to come to God in prayer. We have to come to God with confidence. We have to overcome these obstacles, whatever might be in our way. The word of God is clear. It's very clear that if, if those who trust in God's salvation will see his salvation, you don't have to question 
your right standing before God, once you come to faith in Jesus Christ, your standing is complete and righteous. Those who trust in God's salvation will see His salvation. We can take confidence in that because God is a God who keeps His promises. And with that being said, I asked you in, in the beginning of this, you know, I asked you, I asked you to ask, uh, be willing to ask someone else this question. Will you pray with me? If you will accept that challenge, you will lead others to a deeper knowledge of God. And you, in the process, will also grow in a depth of understanding of what God wants to do in you and through you and in the others and through the others into your life. Iron sharpens iron. We are, we are to be in relationship with one another, and I think prayer is something that we ought to do together. So will you be willing to ask this question to somebody this week or this month? I don't know your context. It might be daunting. But I ask you to consider it, and I ask you to pray about it. And I'll ask you right now, will you pray with me as we go before the Lord? Father, I thank you for your word and the challenge that it gives us to be a people of covenant relationship. The new covenant that was secured through the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for how you have made a way available for us to come into your presence boldly, but Lord, to, to, to speak those things that we need to speak. It is sometimes overwhelming to be in a silent room all alone and to pray to you because you are awesome. You are perfect, as we talked about in Sunday school today. And so, Father, I pray that as we recognize who you are, that we would unwrap this gift of prayer on a regular basis and come into your presence, and that we would do it with others at times so that you will build the bonds of, of friendship, the bonds of discipleship, as one disciples another, may they pray together. As one is being discipled by another, may they pray together. And Father, may you, through this process of us coming into relationship with each other, confident in who you are and what you've called us to do, what you empower us to do. Lord, I pray that you would build this church strengthen this church to glorify you in, in ways that we haven't even thought about yet. May your unfolding plan be lived out in this community. To your glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.